Lord Jesus, thank you that you love us and that you're good to us. Lord, thank you that you are our King. We don't deserve your love. We don't deserve anything. Lord, we deserve for you to be angry at us, to destroy us, to cast us out. And instead you, you love us. You love us who constantly fall. You love us who constantly find ourselves in the dust. And you reach down to the dust and you say, I love you and I've done it all for you. And we thank you for that today. Amen. Lord, please speak to us now. Help us to, to really not just understand Easter, but to really understand it deep in our being. Let it sink deep, I pray. Father, speak to my heart. Speak to the hearts of all of us here today. By your Spirit, Father, point us to Jesus and to your great plan and your great love. Amen. So we've got this series that we're doing uh, on the grace of God, really. The fact that in Jesus, I'm going to move to the front here because that way I don't feel like I've got my back to Anna Marie anyway. We've, uh, we've got the series looking at God's grace in giving us countless second chances at the cross of Jesus. Uh, we've seen how Jesus uh, in his ministry so far up to this point has just been giving chance after chance after chance to those who absolutely do not deserve get any chance. You might remember the first person we saw was, was old uh, Zacchaeus, the wee little man who climbed up a tree, Jesus to see. I think there's a song in there somewhere. Um, I don't know it. Uh, Mark's looking at me with, with eyebrows of despair. I'm, I'm afraid he might be going to teach it to me a little bit later. Uh, <clears throat> we saw then the woman at the well who also was in desperate need of Jesus. Now, you might remember from our series leading up to this, that Jesus came preaching the good news. He came announcing that the kingdom of God was near, and he came to make it possible for us to actually go into the kingdom of God, to be present with God, to be reconciled, with God, but, but we also know, if we read through the scriptures, that, that there were some who didn't like the idea of God being for the hoi polloi. That they didn't like the idea of God being for anyone except those who came to church and at least had a veneer of goodness to them. They didn't like the idea that God would be going to the strip, the strip clubs. And that God would be going to the drug dens. Some of you here are going, did he just say those things? I don't know that they had such things in Jesus' day, but if I read through, Fran says, yes they did. If I read through the Gospels, I have a sneaking suspicion that Jesus might even hang out with such people. In fact, he did. He hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes. And there were some who didn't like it. 
who looked at Jesus and said, there's no way that you can be God's chosen rescuer, the one to save us. Who rejected out of hand as ridiculous the thought that he was God. And with the help of a traitor among his friends, they arrested him. They held a mockery of a trial. They took him to the Romans for execution. We read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John that Jesus was beaten and mocked, taken out to be killed. And it seems as we come to the crucifixion that the one who offered so many second chances has run out of second chances. Let's read what happens. Uh, Luke chapter 23. We're going to read. I might just read from verse 28 on the overhead there. Luke chapter 23. Jesus is on his way to the cross. A large crowd trailed behind, including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, Fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the, women, the wombs that have not borne a child, and the breasts that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains, fall on us, and plead with the hills, bury us. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it's dry? Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. And when they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one in his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. And the crowd watched and the leader scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah. Or if he is really God's Messiah, the Chosen One. And the soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, If you are the King of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, This is the King of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, See, you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too, while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. By this time it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. And then Jesus shouted, Father! I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. And when the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshipped God and said, Surely this man was innocent. And when all the crowds that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus' friends, including the woman who had followed him from Galilee, they stood at a distance watching. And you read that, and as I was reading it, I was very aware that Jesus wouldn't have been speaking in a loud, comfortable voice. This would have been a parched voice, a bruised voice. 
Just the chapter before, Jesus had spoken to his disciples and he'd said in verse uh, 37 of chapter 22, The time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. He was counted among the rebels. Yes, everything written about me by the prophets will come true. Jesus said that he would be counted among the rebels, counted among the transgressors, if you've got a different translation. And in many ways he was. Anyone who refuses to let God be totally in charge of their life, to, to, dis, uh, to uh, set the agenda for every thought, every word, every deed, any such person who says, God, you may rule except in this area, or God, you may not rule at all, any such person is a rebel. If we've ever chosen to do something that goes against what God says is best, we are rebels. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are rebels, all of us. And Jesus was counted among us. Jesus became one of us. He became a, a human man. Except he didn't rebel. And you look at who Jesus hung out with. We've already mentioned this. He hung out with the wrong crowd. He hung out with the baddies, the, the scum like Samaritans, the lepers, the poor, the tax collectors, the, the useless. He was, says Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, a friend of sinners. And people weren't using that as a, oh, what a good thing. They were using it to disparage Jesus. You might even say that he was executed in part for being a friend of sinners. But in a, in a more literal way, Jesus was numbered among the rebels in that he was actually led out to be executed and actually executed with one on each side of him. Uh, Luke himself, uh, in chapter 23, doesn't specify their crime. Uh, the other Gospels, uh, Matthew and Mark, call them rebels. These were people, most likely, who had acted against the might of Rome. They weren't common criminals. It, it's not that you were executed on a cross just for doing something small. Uh, being executed on a cross was a huge thing. In all likelihood, these were people who had fought for the freedom of Israel. Who looked at the Romans and said, this is not right that you should run us. We are God's people. We will fight against you and free our nation. Patriotism. And they died alongside the one who had claimed that God's kingdom was near in him. They had been fighting to bring about the kingdom of Israel, God's kingdom. But Jesus also died on a cross and that, that also speaks about him being numbered among the transgressors. Deuteronomy tells us that anyone who is hung on a tree is cursed by God. And if God didn't want to curse Jesus and count him as a rebel, surely God would have stopped it, would have done something. It seemed that the one who offered second chances to people desperately in need of them was proven at the cross a powerless liar. And yet he doesn't go to his death 
like an angry revolutionary hating his executioners. He, he's there on the cross, stripped naked, soldiers gambling for his few earthly possessions, his clothes. And he looks down at them and he says, Father, forgive them. And they didn't realize that the one accused of being Israel's king actually was Israel's king. I'm pretty sure the soldiers, I mean, they're not idiots. I'm pretty sure they knew that it was wrong to treat any human being the way they treated Jesus. They were treating him less than human by mocking and beating and torturing him. Any such behavior towards any human at any point is just plain wrong. And isn't it sad that we still treat people that way in this day and age? But, but they didn't realize the full extent of their crime, that this was not just a, a man, but actually was God become flesh. Jesus' splendor was hidden to them. And all they saw, perhaps because their eyes were blinded, perhaps because they chose not to accept the evidences that Jesus had proven himself with, all they saw was a man who they could destroy. Verse 38 tells us that above Jesus' cross there was the, the standard, the, the plaque reading that he is the king of the Jews. Finally, everyone can see the title above his head. This is the king of the Jews. And it's ironic that when Jesus is announced as king publicly for the world to see, it is done with hatred and irony. Pilate had written that notice and the, the leaders of the Israelites, the, those who had had Jesus executed, went to him. John chapter 19 verse 21 tells us. And they said, Pilate, that's wrong. Say rather that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. And, and Pilate looked at them and said, get out. I've written what I've written. It stands, and I won't change it. See, Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. He'd been outmaneuvered by the Jews into, into executing Jesus. He wasn't a fan of the Jews, and, and perhaps this plaque, rather than a statement of his personal belief that Jesus is the king, was a statement to get back at the Jewish people. You forced me into this, I'm going to rub it in your faces. And whatever his motivation, unwittingly he has pronounced the message that Jesus pronounced, the message that God will pronounce most clearly in two days' time, or on the third day, Sunday morning. You might know Psalm 22, verse 3. Psalm 22 is one of those psalms that, that Jesus actually quotes on the cross, I believe. Come on. We know the first line, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night you hear my voice, but I find no relief. But listen to the third verse. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. You are holy, Father, enthroned on the praises of Israel. God is enthroned on the praises of his people. 
Jesus is enthroned on their scorns. This is his day of enthronement. And it's not with praise, but with mockery and scorn. The leaders don't even talk to Jesus. They talk about Jesus so that he can hear. They sneer at him. They assume that if he was the Messiah, the God's rescuer, that he would save himself from his own death. Because the chosen one could save himself from his own death. I mean, if if you or I had the power to save ourselves from an agonizing crucifixion, wouldn't we? Of course we would. And so we remake God in our image and we assume that Jesus puts himself first, just like like I would. And, And that's exactly what the Jewish leaders were doing back then. I mean, Jesus could have saved himself from the cross, but, but he refused to save himself so that he could save us. Imagine doing communion, or not communion, doing the Last Supper with his disciples, and then three quarters of the way through, Jesus says, you know what, I've changed my mind. I don't want to do this anymore. Now, Jesus went into it knowing that this was going to be the hardest thing in all of eternity to do, and he did it. And, and the hardest thing, perhaps was not stepping off the cross. The soldiers mocked Jesus as well, assuming that a king would save himself. I mean, they they were probably so sure in their own strength and might, the might of Rome, against these pathetic revolutionaries, especially that one in the middle. Even the thieves mocked Jesus. Matthew chapter 27, Mark chapter 15 uh, tell us that both of them started off mocking Jesus. Luke focuses in on just one of them. Verse 39, uh, he turns to Jesus and he says, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. His question is worded in such a way as to expect a a yes answer. You, You are the Messiah, aren't you? But he doesn't really believe that Jesus can do anything. He, he himself has no hope at this point. He's, he's cursed of God. He's about to die under Roman laws. But, but surely any self-respecting rescuer of Israel, the Messiah, the chosen one of God, surely any such self-respecting rescuer wouldn't die to the oppressing Romans. If he had the power of God, he wouldn't do it. Maybe there's even a, a, a hint of pride in his stab at Jesus. So you're the Messiah, well rescue us, and rescue us as well while you're at it. If Jesus was the Messiah, he should save the criminals on each side of him. After all, I wonder if this is how he was thinking, after all, they were dying because they had dared to actually do something for the people of Israel. A Messiah could surely rescue them because they had actually done something good. So you're not the Messiah. Well, of course you're not, Jesus, because if you were, why am I here? As far as this thief is concerned, there are no second chances. I wonder if he even considered that there was anything he would do differently. I, I don't know. We're not told. If he was given a reprieve from the cross, what would happen? Barabbas was given a reprieve. We don't know what happened to him. Maybe their buddy. 
Maybe if he were said you can have a second chance, he would say, and I'd do exactly the same again. Because at least I'm going to fight for what is right. And he ends up first. And he ends up destroyed and he ends up unafraid of God who is defended. He's been defending God's kingdom, God's Israel. And he ends up unafraid of God in his pride. The second thief might have started out like the first, but there's a change. And he recognizes the desperate situation he's in. He's dying, yes, but, but then he thinks about it and he says, I'm dying and I'm going to have to face God. And he's got a healthy fear of God. He, he knows that God is God and that he's not. Maybe his motives for being a rebel were good. Maybe he started out with the best intentions. Maybe he wanted to, to honor God by fighting for Israel's freedom. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he was just a scumbag. We're not 100% sure if they're revolutionaries, but I, I, no, I think we are. I take that back. I think we are sure that they're revolutionaries. Maybe his motives were good, but he knows, I believe, that he is acting outside of what God wants. He's done things that are displeasing to God. He knows that he's guilty. He knows that death is the inevitable cost. And he looks at Jesus and he sees something different. Also dying on a cross. But Maybe he had overheard Jesus speaking to the woman on the way, saying, don't cry for me, cry for yourself. Not words said with sarcasm, but words said with great love and heartache, I believe. Maybe he'd heard the words of Jesus on the cross about forgiving those who were killing him. Perhaps he'd heard of Jesus Maybe he'd been there one day when Jesus spoke. Maybe he'd heard of Jesus forgiving people, healing them. Maybe he'd heard the story of, of Lazarus coming back from the dead. Perhaps he saw Jesus recognized as king of the Jews and knew it was true. Somehow God by his spirit had softened his heart to accept that Jesus is God. He, unlike his friend feared God and he came to the belief that to fear God was to trust Jesus. And he doesn't ask Jesus to honor him for his role in opposing the Romans. He just says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And for this man so far gone in rebellion that he is about to die for it, there is hope, there is a second chance. I read an old-fashioned commentary and it said words similar to this. Remember him? Yes, remember him. But not just in the day when Jesus returns in his kingdom, but that very day. Of course Jesus would remember him because that's what Jesus does. He comes and he gives a second chance to those who turn to him and say, Jesus, remember me. Not because I'm worthy of it, I'm not. Just remember me. And Jesus says, this day you'll be with me. 
Yes, death is still going to take this man's life. No, Jesus isn't going to lift him off the cross. But Jesus insisted that it wouldn't be the end, that there would be a new life, not just a revived life, a new life in paradise. And most importantly, that this man would be with Jesus. And darkness falls, and we're not sure what causes it. It's certainly not an eclipse, but the darkness is just pregnant with meaning. I mean, this is the hour when evil seems strongest. And Jesus entrusts himself to his Father, and he breathes his last. Yeah. And the one who offers second chances is dead. I mean, is it too late for you, for God to give you a new hope and a second chance? Only after Jesus dies does the centurion who's officiating recognize that Jesus was a righteous man, that he was innocent. The other gospels say that he concluded that Jesus really was the Son of God. After Jesus dies, was it too late for the centurion? Is it too late for us? But the curtain in the temple that that kept the most holy place, the place where God's presence was symbolically there, the place where you only went in once a year, the holy of holies, the curtain was torn in two just before Jesus died. As Jesus dies... There is no longer any barrier between God and his people. The place symbolic of God's presence is thrown open for all to enter. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says that we may now boldly enter the throne of God by the blood of Jesus. What kept us apart from God wasn't wasn't God but our own sin which deserves death and death is what Jesus got for my sin for my rebellion what counts as the second criminal found is putting our trust in Jesus but was it too late it's easy for us to now go oh Nick we know it's not too late we know Easter Sunday's coming But put yourself in the shoes of the people that very first Easter. They'd heard Jesus say, I'll come back from the dead. But they stood at a distance. And I can't help but wonder if they were thinking it's too late. The giver of hope, the giver of new life, the giver of forgiveness... He's gone. <coughs> and yet why was the curtain torn? Why was the curtain torn?
What counts is putting our trust in Jesus. Because what we know now is that Friday is the hour of darkness when Jesus is enthroned on the jeers of his people. But Sunday is the day of deliverance. The day of resurrection. Because the light shines in the darkness. As John puts it in John 1 verse 4. And try as it might, the darkness can never extinguish it. Amen.